0: All right, so our reading today is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're looking at verse 14. So I invite you to find your place and then stand for the reading of God's word. I want to read this uh, first out of the ESV version and then uh, the NLT, which I think is kind of interesting, how it kind of brings it together for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're starting at verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. From the New Living Translation, that same verse, a couple of verses read, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We ask that you would indeed plant the seed of your word into our hearts, that we might grow. Let us better walk away from here, better understanding what love, real love, is all about and what it means for us this Christmas. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated i apologize for my voice a couple of days ago something happened i swallowed a frog or something but i'll do my best here Uh, for christ's love compels us verse 14 begins there you know when critics attack us uh, it's hard for us to maintain our composure you know when you you find out really a lot about yourself when your character is maligned don't you Uh, When people are kind of out to get you, whether it's at work or whatever, and uh, those of you who have, uh, I I think probably everybody in this room has had the experience that you have been the stepping uh, stone for someone to advance a little higher, Uh, they have thrown you under the bus. Uh, It could have been in family, it could have been at work, it could have been at school. Uh, We've all had those kinds of experiences, but in the heat of those kinds of battles, though, it's... Uh, not always a pleasant discovery for us to see what motivates us. You know, what comes out of us when we get squeezed. You know, you think about um, adversity and trials. If you think about a sponge, you know, when you're looking at that sponge from a distance, uh, it's hard to tell whether it's it's wet or dry, But or a wash rag or whatever, you know, but then you squeeze it, and you see whatever's on the inside comes out, right? And when you and I get squeezed... How many of you know it comes out and it's not always good. You know, there's a passage of Scripture um, in the Old Testament that talks about how uh, when you step on snake eggs, snakes come out, you know and and uh, it's just it's it's not always pleasant. And sometimes it is to see some of the sweetness that will come out of people as a result of their relationship with God. But I think one of the things that we can sometimes see is, a fear of punishment, a fear of punishment, and that will motivate us in a a way that we will do things that we might not otherwise do. Now, fear of punishment, uh, you know, it really is a a deterrent. Uh, Burglars will tend to skip a house that has visible cameras. Uh, That's why you'll see in a lot of yards and businesses, you'll see something along this line, a sign that reads, that's uh, this home or this business is protected by fill in the blank, you know, Santa and his elves, whatever it is. <laughs> and that, that appeals to our desire to stay out of jail, right? We, we all have that strong desire. We do not uh, do what, what, what we might have planned to do or otherwise might have done, you know, it, it, because we dare not uh, do evil. Uh, we, we know there are repercussions, or the person who's seeking to do that knows there's repercussions. And you might call this, if you like, the virtue of compulsion. <laughs> a virtue of compulsion. We're, we're not doing something because we recognize that there is you know, um, there, there are severe consequences. It makes uh, a thief honest. It, it makes a slanderer silent. But, you know, really in thinking about the virtue of compulsion, it, it is something that we don't make light of in our society. Laws keep people from pulling triggers. They, they keep people uh, doing right, even when uh, they might otherwise desire to do wrong. So there is a real motivation behind fear and that kind of fear of, you know, punishment, something that might happen negatively. But for all those of us who have lived any length of time on the planet, you recognize that fear is not enough of a motivation. It, it's short term, really. And if, you, if a person feels like they can get away with it later in another place, in another setting, that fear of punishment really is, is not as strong as we might have hoped. And that's why Paul said that love of Christ compels me. It's it's the strongest motivator. In the context, Paul is speaking of Christ's love for us. We love God, Paul expressed, because God first loved us. Everything starts with God and it comes down to us. Anything that depends solely on uh, us will be weak, it's gonna be feeble, it's gonna be uncertain. Our love waxes and wanes, it grows hot, and it fades away. One of, uh, one of the preachers, Alexander McLaurin, um, a Scottish preacher, he, he preached on this text that we're, we're looking at today, and he used a cascade of phrases to describe the impact of Christ's love on the human heart, and I really loved it, and I wanted to share it with you. And this, this is his cascade of phrases, that, that the love of Christ is unturned away by unworthiness, unrepelled by non-responsiveness, undisgusted by any sin, unwearied by any opposition. Wow, is that a love that you and I have? That's an incredible love that God has towards us. It is literally the light of heaven piercing the darkness of the earth, and 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 the when when our hearts get a hold of this kind of love, it changes us, and we are compelled on a daily basis to live differently than those who haven't experienced this love. Now, how can we understand really the love of God? How can we get our minds around our hearts around what the love of God really is? And we begin this year with our vision and and uh, statement outlined, and over the year we have we have. Uh, Put it in in uh, our our social media campaigns and our messages, and even painted it on our wall. Right, our vision is all of the gospel for all of the people, and in a, one of the best ways for us to understand God's love is to really wrap our minds around that God came for all. God came for all. Now, the word "all" is 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 the operative word of Scripture. That, that makes it so incredibly attractive to each one of us. Living in an exclusive rather than an inclusive world, we lose sight of the power of that one word. Because, you know, if we're not in the right place, in the right group, then we're excluded. But in Christ, we come back into grips with the power of that word. In the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for let's read it together all the people for today in the city of david there has been born for you a savior who is christ the lord all of the people not just a savior for an exclusive group of people who perform correctly act appropriately, learn to do certain things, are gifted in a certain way, are able to contribute to society in a meaningful way. This is the Savior of all the people. All the people. And our world is filled with you know, exclusive relationships. You and I run into it all the time. If you're not in the right country club, if you, if you don't have wealth, there are certain uh, places that you're, you're not really welcome. The celebrity and the talented are, are, are in certain groups that you and I will never be around or be accepted into. You are excluded rather than included in much of what goes on in life. And it is the attraction of the gospel This inclusivity that begins with the fact, and and the gospel is is framed in these three words, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. It unites us. It brings us all together. And we no longer have to point fingers and say, you know, I'm better than that person. Or, you know, I'm not as bad as that person. I, I did some good things. I gave to this group. I helped out over here. So I've earned a little credit with God. But we are all lumped in by the gospel to this same same three words. All have sin. And it's the inclusivity of the gospel. The all that brings us all together and we can all identify with one another and whenever there is there's war social justice wars and racial wars and things like that we can all come together in the same house the He died for me. Christ's death, his death was personal. He died, not me. His death was real. He died. His, His death was sacrificial. He died for all. His death was complete. He died for all. He didn't exclude anyone for any reason. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be The propitiation for our sins. A big word meaning He took your place. He stood in your place. He took what belonged to us. The punishment that belonged to us for all of our sins. And He stood in our place. And He bore it on the cross. This is love. It's a love that compels us. He loved us. How indescribably wonderful is this discovery for our life and we never tire of hearing it you know i mean we're sitting here yesterday with the children and their parents and we're watching this film you know a cartoon and they're talking about you know in in this cartoon animals it's kind of from the animals version they're talking about it leading all the way up to the stable and all the things that they're hearing and what's going on and The wise men's camels are talking, right? And the donkey is talking and the sheep are talking. And they're telling the story of the coming of Christ. And I'm sitting here in the midst of this watching it, being broken afresh and anew over the love of God that came for me. However, they choose to tell the story, the truth of it rings out for all of us, for all of us. So first, let's consider the subject of the primary love as we can see in this passage john clearly identifies god as the subject he writes the love of god isn't the love of Alan that might be at times you know pure and at other times judgmental and at other times might be uh, you know hot and and and, and really passionate and at other times be very mild and it is the love of god it's he's the subject he god john says loved us we certainly initiate all sorts of of actions of love you know during the christmas season the presents that we're buying the cards we're sending in ways that we're kind of trying to express to one another our caring but we must never forget that the primary love of Christmas belongs to God and to God alone. He is the initiator of the love. 1 John 14 and 19 says, He first loved us. Now, if the subject of primary love, who is the, uh, if God is that subject of primary love, then who is the object of the love? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now knowing that all in the world would not love him back, he loved all in the world anyway. It's amazing to think through. And I think we struggle on this end of things. We can come to a place that we certainly recognize the love of God God is the, the originator. He's the subject. He's, he is love. And that it is so profoundly different than what you and I will offer to one another on a daily basis out of ourselves, right? But we struggle with this part of being the object of God's love and receiving, you know, the love of God. And, and I think the reason why we struggle with it so much is because receiving love takes a degree of humility, and we as humans find humility difficult. I visited with a pastor uh, this, this past week, and I'll share a little bit more of it in the closing, but this was one of the things we talked about. We were talking about these, uh, you know, annually, uh, when it comes around to Pastor Appreciation Day, and you have this, this month, and people are identifying, and what a struggle it is, you know, to, to uh, be receiving, you know? we we enjoy giving we enjoy loving other people but to the humility of like just having someone come up and say we just love you and this this past week as well a uh, family in the church took us to dinner it was a beautiful evening and they kept insisting that we eat more that was tough you know cuz you know they, they wanted us to eat more and have dessert and all this kind of stuff you know and that's really that's that's a horrible life right there that's really bad <laughs> And uh, it, it was, it's hard to receive it. You know, it's, it's hard to, when the check comes and, and, and you know that it's, it's, you know, much more than, than it would have normally been if a couple had just gone out. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to sit there and like hang on to your wallet and receive, you know. And, and we have that trouble sometimes walking in humility understanding the love of God because we know we're so undeserving. We think through the moments that we have hurt you know the ones that we love the most and care for the most we think about the the times that we've deceived them we've lied we've held back we've cheated we think about things that we've done to other people coworkers, and and people in life that we could step around them or or get over them by having a conversation with a direct report uh, that was not so glowing about this individual but it allowed us to shine a little bit better. And it is so challenging to receive any love, recognizing who we are. What compels us when we receive that love to live a different life is his love is compelling us to live. He came before uh, our love. It came despite our unworthiness. We read about it in Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's such a love that compels us to respond. We, we know that, that Christmas began you know, with the birth of Jesus, and it also began the journey to the cross. And it compels us, when we fully understand that, to take up our own cross, to walk humbly before our God, to live a life that will glorify Him and Him alone. One of the questions that I am frequently asked as a pastor is this one, is how can I know that I am a Christian? Pastor, how, how can I really know that I am a Christian? And often I think that uh, in talking with people, listening to them, uh, that, that, that question reveals that they're, that individual is kind of searching. They're, they're looking for a feeling that they had or a reconnection to a moment that they came forward in, in answer to an altar call or walked the aisle. Maybe it was centered around water baptism or they're thinking back to a small church that they grew up in, uh, a Christian camp that they attended. Uh, as a child or as a young person, an incident or an event that happened, something that caused them to shed tears, feel emotion. Uh, perhaps they're thinking about a time that their grandmother invited them to walk forward and to, and to pray, and uh, they're, they're, they're looking for that again, and it's missing. There's an, there's an absence of it, and so now it's brought up the question, how do I know? How do I know I'm a Christian? And really, you know, the answer... It's is quite simple. The truth is that you know that you're a Christian because you're no longer a prisoner to sin. And you're, try, you're, you're striving to live a righteous life in Christ. That's how you know you're a Christian. Because there is no one who is, doesn't know Christ that's being compelled to live that life. There's no one who doesn't know Christ that, that is, is free enough from their sin and the bondages of their lusts and desires that they can actually authentically live a life like that. In other words, you are no longer compelled. You know you're a Christian because you're no longer compelled by your desires, your, your selfish wants. Rather, you're compelled by the love of Christ to live a life worthy of Him. And that wins out in the end. It's not that you don't ever fall down and make mistakes, but in the end, every time it wins out, that it's about Him and about His glory and not about you and what you want. And that's how you know you are a believer, you are a Christian, you are a follower of Christ because He wins out every time. And When we wrestle with the things that try to draw us back into sin and into darkness... We always have victory in Him and through Him. I spent, uh, as I said earlier, half a day uh, in South Austin this past Wednesday, and among the challenges um, in ministry for every pastor that we face is the challenge to help shepherd our people to know the difference between going to church, little C, and being the church, the big C. And it is a challenge Uh, to help people, but for me as a pastor, I can see the Big C Church quite easily based on what we're talking about today in Scripture. The Big C Church is made up of people who are compelled by the love of God to live their lives to glorify God. They regularly choose God over idolatry. There is a lot of idolatry in our world today, uh, of all different kinds, you know, I was reading, my reading in the Bible has taken me through Exodus, I'm getting to Leviticus, Jackson, uh, and, um, you know, children of Israel, you know, um, Moses goes up to the mountain and they're like, we haven't seen him, he's not been around, he's 40 days, he's missing, you know, and so let's make us a God, you know, and, and, uh. You know, Aaron, is how, You know, he performed the miracle. You know, they gave him all the jewelry, and he explains it to Moses later. I just threw it into the fire, and a calf jumped out. <laughs> <laughs> Although, when you read the text, he formed it. You know, he made it. But he wanted Moses to think, I just threw these in there, and poof, a calf jumped out. It must have been magical, right? All kinds of idolatry in our day. There are people who are worshiping, uh, you, you know, uh, they're, they're looking at their children, And they're living through them vicariously, and they're worshiping what they can be that they were not. They're going to be this great athlete. They're going to be this huge intellect. They're going to be whatever, and and they've turned their whole family into idolatry. They they gather around the things that they think are going to open the doors for their children to move in the directions they're aspiring to move. And there's nothing wrong with us being ambitious as parents and encouraging kids to go in a direction that will hone their gifts and, and help them to be better. but listen let me let me tell you right now there are probably 20,000 young people right now in central um, Austin area that are playing soccer and every one of them believe <laughs> they're going to to being playing professional soccer and you know or they're going to get a college scholarship or whatever and and the enemy has turned a lot of this stuff that in, into idolatry. We're throwing our money into it. We're throwing our time into it. We're throwing our energies into it. And uh, the world is, is lost. The world is in need of hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those who are, are sucked up by... Uh, their own aspirations for career and aspiring to do things and they're working 24-7 and they just never put it down. It goes with them wherever they go and it has become an idol for them and it is impossible for them seemingly to separate from that and in in so many ways they're worshipping the work and they're not worshipping the God over the work. And so I see it The big C in people that are choosing God over idolatry. I see it in people that uh, love authentically. It's not just seasonal for them. They're not just giving during certain seasons, but they are working and giving to the Lord in every way, their gifts, their talents, their time, their treasures, as unto the Lord to serve their community and to serve people around them. And it's so clear when you see that these guys are in the big C. They're in the big church. I see it in people that they, they give more than they receive. You know, you it's like the seasons of blessing come and, and it's in their life and yet they're still giving out more. They're giving of their time and they're, 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 they're serving others and lifting others up. And it's just beautiful to watch. I see it uh, that they leave a Christian legacy behind them. I go to funerals of people and, and we've had some Recently, friends of ours—we haven't been able to go back to their funerals—but from my childhood up, these were figures in my life: ministers and pastors that have passed away. Uh, Earl Ostrom, Rose Ostrom, uh, very recently, and uh, you know, these—these were people who, when I was a, a young person, were presbyters, were pastors, were leaders in our section. Went to camp with their kids. I can remember uh, Sister Rose Ostrom, who's the most recent who passed away just this past week. Uh, she was leading our kids' camp, and, and uh, there were, I remember one line of the song. The whole theme was around, you know, all of us being knights, you know, and we're king's kids, and God has great plans for us, you know. And here we came into this building, you know, raggedy uh, old kids have been playing basketball and sweating and everything. And in, in moments of time, she turned the tables on us, and we began to feel like, wow, we're royalty. And she had written a song that we all sung every night. We're knights of the king of kings. To him we pledge our loyalty. And, it, you know, we were singing that, and we were so inspired and so encouraged by what had happened, and she's left such a great legacy behind her. You know, I remember her saying, right before Michelle and I uh, left Arizona, if you guys stay where you're at when, when Pastor Earl uh, retires, we're going to make your church our home church. And I was like, what an honor, you know? Like all my life, I had aspired to listen to them and to follow their example and, and, and to learn from them. And that at this point in their life, they would turn around and say, when we retire, we're going to make your church our home church. We love you guys. We're so proud of you. Those, those that are a part of the big C, they live, they leave this huge Christian legacy. You know, it's not, it's not even, uh, it's effortless. They're just loving God, living for God, serving Him, and you remember them all the days of your life and everything that they have passed on to you, you pass on to others. I know the, the members of the big C, uh, they worship the one true God, with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their mind. I'm always struck, uh, you know, to see the church in worship uh, during the 2020, um, you know, pandemic and, and Sean Foyt was leading these worship concerts in every city and it was great to go to those and to see God's people, places where they could not gather because of their state regulations. That wasn't true here in Texas, but in other states, uh, there were regulations that prevented churches from gathering and having church and out here in a park, you know, you would see hundreds and thousands of people gathered together and just worshiping God with all their heart and they didn't see anyone else around them. They didn't see anything that was going on. There was no shame in it. They were worshiping God, their voices crying out to him. And I said, there's members of the big C <laughs> there's people that belong to the big church. I see it when people are compelled in their actions by love. I recognize then love is compelling their actions. That means they're a member of the big C. They're not just showing up for an event on the weekend and having church and then going home. Man, they're living this thing out all week long. They are members of the big church. As we open a a time of response to what, you know, we've heard from God's word today. I think my question simply is, are we being compelled by the love of God? Are we being compelled by the love of God? Now, nearby you have the elements for communion, and in a moment we're gonna receive those, but what I wanna do first is I wanna invite our worship team members, if they would just come and stand across the front right here, those of you that are still in the building, and bring your, if elements for communion if not there's some right on here on the front row you can grab because i want us to pray over our worship team but we want to watch uh receive communion have them do it first and then they're gonna they're gonna lead us in it we're gonna do it together afterwards but let's let's allow the worship team they don't often get to do this you know um because they're busy at their work and what they do that uh, would they help us. They're, we're singing and stuff, and we're receiving communion. So you guys can get a little closer. Just You love each other, and there you go. That's the group. <clears throat> you want to do it together? Okay. Let's stand then, and, and let's do this together. We'll take that which represents the, the body of Christ. You can tell I made this up as we go. We really love you guys, our worship team, and we're grateful that we can do this together as a church family, receive what belongs to the Lord in memory of what he's accomplished for us. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that your body was broken for us, and Lord, we are compelled by the love that was born in the manger and carried on to the cross that died and rose again, we are so grateful. And we do this today in memory of what you accomplished for us. Thank you for joy. Thank you for love. Thank you for peace, God. We thank you, Lord, uh, for every accomplishment that has taken place, for your faithfulness to us from generation to generation. As we receive this, we receive it in memory of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we're grateful for the blood that was spilled at Calvary. Lord, we are thankful that you went all the way to the cross for us. You stood in our place, that word propitiation. You took my place. You took what belonged to me. And I am so forever thankful. Lord, for every member to recognize today the significance of all helps us get a better picture of what love is about for all, all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you died for all, all, all. There is none, Lord, that you did not die for. And so as we receive this today, we do it in remembrance of that and with our great gratitude, and we express our thanksgiving in Jesus' name, amen. Would you extend your hands towards our worship team and let's pray over them. There are members that are unable to be here today too. Uh, Gary and and Bri- uh, Brianna and uh, others that have uh, participated in our worship team, let's pray over everyone. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up our worship team to you. We're so grateful and thankful, Lord, for their hard work and their sacrifice and that they are using their gifts to glorify you. And Father, we just thank you for them and we want to lift them up in prayer and ask you to surround them with your love, your strength and your encouragement and God, as they face day-to-day challenges, you're going to meet them there, love them through it, and compel them to live a life based upon the love of Jesus Christ and what you have accomplished on their behalf. We thank you for every member, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now, instead of going back, you guys can come on up on the stage if you want. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over our online community, uh, and then we'll worship uh, the Lord together, that the love of God is going to compel us as we roll into this next year. Uh, we're going to be moved, motivated by the love of God. Father, I thank you for those online listening today. We thank you, God, that you are uh, have rescued them, have saved them, but Lord, you're you're more than just the Savior, Lord, you're you're more than just the deliverer, uh, Father, you are the source of life, and we thank you, Lord. You compel us to live, and live a life that it will glorify you. And I pray over all of the members of our congregation present here, uh, Lord, on campus, that you're going to. Uh, Lord, you unite us and bring us together with the understanding of what love means. It means all. We're, we're included. We're loved. We're cared about. And Father, as, as we worship you in song, that we will lift our hearts completely to you and make you completely Lord over every area of our life. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.